right, I'm Josh Derso, and this is our Sunday Conversation. Today I'm joined by Brian McConnell, Executive Director of the American Red Cross Finger Lakes Chapter. Brian, welcome back. Josh, thank you so much for, for inviting me. It's nice to see you again. I can't believe it's been two years. I, <laughs> we were talking about that before we came out. I, uh, I, I guess it's been a busy two years. Um, probably, it must be. I, I, and I appreciate you juggling your schedule to fit me in. Uh, we know that uh, last August right on through was busy for us from not only a local disaster response, but also from a national response. And so that, that accounts for at least six months, uh, but uh, hope to be back sooner. So to that end, let, let's start right there. Let's talk about, uh, before we get into some of the things that are going on now, let, let's talk about what was, 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were some of the things that stood out to you uh, on the local level, uh, just in terms of what you guys had to respond to, what you saw, trends, et cetera? So uh, I, think, I think we need to just recognize the, the human compassion and drive that, uh, that we saw. Uh, unfortunately, we experienced what is probably best termed as a, a hundred years flash flood up along uh, Seneca Lake, not only affecting, gosh, Shimon County, Seneca County, um, but also down through uh, Broome County as well. So we had, at a high point, we had up to eight shelters open. And in some of the post-community meetings that I had opportunity to attend, uh, some of the more senior members were were sharing that they remembered a similar incident from 1933. During that incident, they experienced uh, a loss of 23 souls. So we're fortunate that we didn't lose any lives. Uh, the amount of debris, both uh, both dead trees and live trees, and material, rock and sediment, uh, parts of houses and parts of sheds that all found their way down from the top of uh, I guess you'd call it the the East Hill uh, into Seneca Lake was just uh, beyond anything I had ever seen. Is is the the fact that there there was no loss of life surprising given what it looked like afterwards? It is. Yeah. We are we are very fortunate that we didn't lose any lives in this particular response. And hats off to gosh all the volunteer fire companies and and, and oh, the, yeah. the the town leadership. Um, these individuals came together. Uh, they were, many of them had all been impacted themselves. Uh, at a high point with the number of uh, washouts, road washouts, building compromises, um, households that were compromised, we had uh, really um, isolated pockets of individuals working to try to uh, save lives and, and make, sure that, uh, make sure that there wasn't extensive damage to other homes. How does an organization like yours, obviously you're, you're sort of always ready, um, but the preparation for something like that, obviously you don't see it coming. Um, yeah. So how do you guys sort of prepare and get ready throughout the year so that you are ready for something like that, uh, God forbid, when it actually happens? Yeah, I think, I think we all missed this particular storm. Um, even, even as soon as the morning of, you know, we, we weren't anticipating anything more than localized flooding, but not of, of this magnitude. Uh, how do we prepare? We are really honored to have individuals that make a donation of time. And over the years, the organization, the American Red Cross, has made a commitment to, 
really be a premier partner at the national disaster response level. Mm -hmm. um, because of that commitment, we follow the National Incident Response System, which means that we are to be specialized and focused in our service delivery. So for us, we follow what is known as emergency service function number six, uh, and that is bulk distribution, sheltering bulk distribution of food um, and relief supplies. To that end, uh, the training regiment now for our disaster volunteers is upwards of 60 hours uh, that they need to complete. And so it's not for the faint of heart to, to make a commitment to become a trained disaster responder. But if individuals find themselves with, uh, with extra time, I would encourage them to at least reach out, not only to us, but consider your volunteer fire company, uh, reach out to local emergency management. There are opportunities to be involved in disaster response, not only here locally, but nationwide through a number of organizations. Um, so I, I think it comes through the training and the opportunity to bring people together. Our most uh, common training venue, or on-the-job training, if you will, is single and multifamily house fires. So many of the individuals who complete that 60 hour of training are paired up with a mentor and uh, no fooling, nights, holidays and weekends, uh, they're part of responses. It may just be a, a single family household, may have just been, uh, not to minimize it, but, but it may have been a, a kitchen fire, just a stovetop fire, but still uh, we were called by the, uh, by the supervising official, whoever the incident manager is, to respond to check into the family's needs. And that, that gives that new volunteer some on-the-job training opportunity to, number one, develop their casework model and also to practice the, the process that is the American Red Cross response. So I, I'm really curious, when you guys get through uh, the, the sort of immediate response to something like the, uh, a large flood, like what happened in South Seneca and, and further south, um, after you're through that immediate immediate response process what does the review look like or how do you guys sort of check back to see you know where the successes where the opportunities were and then to sort of learn uh, how to how to keep improving because I'm assuming it, it's a, a constant work in progress yeah so internally we had our own after action because the size and scope of that meant that we mobilized volunteers from across upstate New York um, and it was just heartwarming to, to see individuals come together to help uh, families and, and other, other communities that are impacted it is truly heartwarming. It's awful that we have to do it, but it is heartwarming that we have individuals that are willing to make that commitment. Internally, we did our after action and we will make adjustments uh, based on some of that feedback. The individual volunteers uh, kind of share, uh, it, it may be just internal processing such as the, the, the logistics of how do we get cleanup kits from point A to point B. Um, but it also comes down to leadership opportunities. Out of these responses, we find volunteers that we then can approach and say, you know, you really did a good job managing these 20 people. Would you consider becoming a disaster leadership volunteer? Um, more often than not, they want to say, no, I, I just want to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, but, but ultimately, somebody still has to be in charge. And so we rely on our, our, our skilled individuals uh, to step up and, and be the leaders of, of their peers. And to that end, I'm sure you hear it from time to time, but 
um, we saw just in some of the comments on social media and, and talking to folks down in, in the southern part of Seneca County, uh, that, that thought process as they're getting the Red Cross assistant, assistance, as they're talking to these people, they're saying to themselves, I couldn't imagine what this disaster would have looked like and what the response would have looked like if you guys didn't, if you weren't there. Um, does that make you feel good? And I, I am also kind of <laughs> curious about the worry that that must also be sort of seated in the back of your mind with that, right? So, so hearing you say it uh, gives me chills, um, and, and it, because it's a reflection on on people that I see every day. Um, we are we are only able to provide that uh, which the American people bequest to us. And so uh, part of our training and part of our commitment to our development of our volunteers is to remember that, that you, you are representing the, the compassion of others. You are being uh, given the opportunity to provide direct financial assistance through the donations of the American people. Um, does it give me worry? Um, you know, I think what I've seen over the last three years, and this is both nationally and locally, that our commitment to the national response plan and our commitment to be specialized and focused has meant that we've been able to do our key disaster response responsibilities better. Mm -hmm. And so uh, obviously there's always individuals who aren't, um, aren't pleased with, with what we do, but on average to have the, the, the confidence and the respect of so many individuals uh, uh, for what we do is is very humbling, and, I, and I'm honored to represent the organization. It, it's changed a lot now. That so so let me go back. Some what what we used to get because we tried to be everything to all people. Twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, we would have done furnace repair. We would have done you know three months rent. We would have done. Um, appliance repair. We would have done debris removal. We would have done rebuilding of homes. Very costly model, uh, very laborious. A lot of people needed. Mm -hmm. um, because we've gone back and, and focused just on our mission, helping people prepare for and respond to disasters, and within the National Response Plan, focus on sheltering bulk distribution of supplies and resources. Uh, I think it's helped us become a better organization and, and one that people can put their trust in. So uh, obviously then you had to essentially pivot right into winter and, and I'm very curious after a, a long late summer and fall um, what that transition looked like as you guys got into what I would imagine becomes uh, house fire season for, for yeah. I would assume that's when those numbers start to tick up. Um, what was that transition like, and then what did that actual, uh, what did the winter look like for you guys? So it wasn't a clear pivot. Uh, we had a couple storms, one by the name of Michael, and the other one, gosh, is Harvey, I believe. Um, and so we had uh, we had a couple disaster volunteers that that committed up to three months of of disaster duty. Um, and we, we encouraged them to take some time off in December. Uh, but so we had numerous deployments. Uh, I had a chance to kind of break the rust off my own shoulders and uh, go down to Bay County, Florida as part of the Michael response. Uh, so I was down there for two weeks. And through this, uh, 
you know, from August right on through the fire season or the heating season prompts our fire season. Uh, not that there's a direct correlation, but, but it just happens that way. And uh, we're up. The number of single and multifamily house fires across our six county areas are up for this year. And I, I don't have a, um, any reason for it. They don't discriminate whether it's a large-scale disaster or a single or multifamily fire. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. We, we respond to retired senior VPs and we, we respond to you know, individuals who are, are uh, putting three and four families in one apartment. It, it doesn't matter. Um, what we're trying to do, though, is make sure that individuals in, in all spectrums recognize that home fires are still a potential and there are things you can do to prevent them and, most importantly, to save your life. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, obviously, volunteers, they, they drive what you guys do. Um, donations also drive what you guys are yeah. able to do. When you wrapped up 2018, did you... Were you sitting in a good place, or were you sort of playing catch-up heading into 2019? Um, from a volunteer standpoint and from a financial standpoint, mm -hmm. I would say we are in a, in a very fortunate position. Uh, we have some wonderfully committed annual donors, and we're, we're, we're honored to have their, their trust and their gifts. Um, we are... Um, we saw a wonderful fundraising opportunity throughout the national storms, and we continue to see local gifts uh, support our, our local fire responses. Volunteers, uh, they were tired, um, and I, I hope some of them, <laughs> I know some of them took some time off, but I also know some of them just kept right on, on uh, on donating their time so we we do want to say we're we're really appreciative is that incredible like that it just the it is it, it, disasters it, are always happening somewhere and there's probably always an opportunity to donate your time somewhere there absolutely the are absolutely organization, and, right and there's a lot of competition and i encourage folks to 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 make a commitment we're seeing i think as a sector if you if you look at the human service and nonprofit sector whether whether it's whether it's Red Cross or Catholic Charities or, or your local church group or your volunteer fire company, um, we're, I believe we're all seeing the, the result of kind of a transition of population. Upstate uh, populations kind of flat at best, and many individuals are working second jobs. They're raising their grandkids. Uh, we are so fortunate to have the commitment of the individuals that we have. If if some of your listenership uh, and viewership are not volunteering, even if you could do one hour a week somewhere, please give it a consideration. Uh, it, for me, it's very rewarding. Um, if you want to do it for a resume builder, that's okay too. But I think it connects you to the community and it connects you to something that you believe in. Mm -hmm. um, we heading into 2019 we're still running over for local fire responses that uh, that's a bit disconcerting um, and the weather patterns the weather is always changing but I would say personally for my 50 plus years living in upstate New York 
that many of the storm systems, even that we saw just uh, this past month, uh, generated more rain than I remember as, as a young person living and growing up here. So uh, I think we have some, uh, some realistic potential for ongoing flash flooding. That's not necessarily new, but it seems to be in different places. Additionally, I don't know why, even with, uh, even with code and UL safety standards, we're still burning houses down, and I can't believe that we're still losing lives in those fires. Okay. So um, bring me back, because now I'm on a soapbox, Josh. We're fortunate this to have. It, we, we, we're only able to do what we do with the generosity of our donors, absolutely. And it speaks to how much you guys are doing with how little you actually have to do it with. I mean, you're fortunate, but at the same time, you're, you're, on, on, you're doing it with very few as opposed to how many could if, if you know, the whole population were actually all participating. Um, to that end, you have uh, obviously a, a program, uh, an annual. This is sort of an annual thing, right? Sound the alarm. So yeah, let me let me back up. <clears throat> In 2014, uh, the American Red Cross kind of took a look at um, our responses, both at the local level and the national level. They also took a look at the fatali fatality stats, both nationally and at state levels, and it became pretty apparent that. Um, fatalities due to fire fall within the top three almost every year in every state across the nation. So um, the, the Board of Governors and the American Red Cross decided that there's an opportunity here to accomplish our mission, which is to try to prevent and alleviate suffering. So we partnered with Kitacorp and we started what's known as the Home Fire Prevention Campaign. This is year-round where we not only install up to three 10-year batteried smoke alarms, but we couple that with some education, and that is an evacuation plan, which I happen to bring with me. Mm -hmm. um, this one has some magnets on it, so you can actually place it on your refrigerator or wherever you want it. And then we actually go through and we talk through with the homeowner while we're there about ways to prevent the most common disasters, and that includes cooking, Fire, fireplaces and space heaters, um, smoking safety, and electrical and appliance safety. Mm -hmm. So National Fire Protection Association has found that when you couple a mitigation activity such as installing smoke alarms with an education activity which is creating an evacuation plan, that you basically create a 50% chance of, of preventing a fatality due to a fire. So we started down that path. And uh, to date, we've, we know that the uh, program has saved 550 lives. We've installed over 1.3 million uh, alarms and uh, made, uh, made somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, uh, 600,000 homes safer with the education nationwide. So last year, uh, even though we had the hurricanes, we we're going to kick off in the fall. Um, the organization said we're going to have a premier event. So we're going to get away from the golf tournaments. We're going to get away from some of these other gala events. We're going to get back to our mission. We're going to have an event. We're going to call it Sound the Alarm. And we're going to install 
our one millionth alarm somewhere in this country in the spring. Great, let's do it. And so uh, they targeted specific communities, um, communities that are, are elderly, communities that have a, a high concentration of young uh, infants and, and new, new families, and also low income. Uh, because some of the feedback that we received was is that individuals would have smoke alarms in their house, but they thought that it was cost prohibitive, right? You know, uh, so uh, lo and behold, we installed our one millionth alarm a year ago. And the event was tremendously successful. New volunteers joined, new donors and new partners came in. And so they said, gosh, maybe, maybe we should do this again. So this is our second year that we're doing Sound the Alarm. Our goal this year is to install uh, over a three-week period from April 27th uh, right on through until uh, May uh, 13th to install 100,000 alarms nationwide and to make, uh, to make you know, three quarters uh, divided by three um, homes safer with fire prevention, education, and evacuation training. Our part here in the Finger Lakes uh, to, to help reach that goal, we're going to do 250 installs. Uh, we are honored to have our partners down in Schuyler County this year. Um, last year, we focused on our, our highly um, our most busy counties. So Wayne County continues to be the county with the most fires annually for us. Uh, they've experienced two fatalities over the last two years. Uh, Chemung County is the most fatal county for us. They, uh, I think it was last year, they ended up with three fatalities. Um, years prior to that, uh, their numbers were up somewhere 11, 12 over a, going back to 2014. And what we found in Schuyler County was is that last year alone, Schuyler County doubled the number of home fires that they have. Now, Schuyler County is, is a wonderful place to be. My wife and I used to live there, um, and we miss it, actually. The Last year, they doubled the number of home fires that they had. They had 11 responses that we were involved in. And unfortunately, two of those responses resulted in fatalities. So if you kind of boil that down, that was a one-year span where if, uh, you know, for, for each one fire that occurred, or for every fire that occurred, you end up with a chance of perishing in it, one to five. Yeah. Uh, so we reached out to um, Office of the Aging. We, we partnered with county legislature. And uh, we're going to focus on Schuyler County to help install 100,000 alarms nationwide. Uh, we're going to do our part. Like I said, we're going to do 250. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a wonderful program. I am convinced, uh, and I know, that we already have saved lives. 21 lives have been documented in western and central New York, and we're claiming uh, four of them right here in Lodi. Uh, a gentleman was kind enough to, uh, to go through and invite us into our home into his home and we installed the smoke alarms, did the evacuation education and with the follow-up after the incident he uh, he mentioned the evacuation plan twice. He said you know you, you all came in you went through the evacuation I knew what I had to do and I was able to get my family out and so hats off to him and we're gonna claim one more. Um, this one's kind of a, a gray area. Uh, we had a team that was that uh, we're gonna do an installation I think it was up here in Seneca Falls uh, two years ago and the team arrived at the homeowners uh, front steps 
no response to the to the knocks on the doorbell and uh, while they were calling the homeowner one of the team members kind of peered in the window and noticed that the homeowner was uh, lying unconscious uh, in the home. They were able to call 911 and save that individual's life. So we're going to claim five, right. but uh, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Uh, um, so obviously this, this event has, has a blossoming effect. Yeah. It's contagious. Um, and I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of interested just on the awareness side that this brings up even if you may not be going to uh, a specific household that household might think about this and might check their smoke alarms or yeah. update them or you know whatever the case may be is that sort of the the side effect the the positive side effect of a program like this we hope so uh i don't i don't know that we can we can really track that uh Individuals are so uh, so warm and inviting. It, it is a, it is a grassroots effort, and it and it's an intimate effort. I mean, we're bringing three uh, volunteers. Uh, we've done our background check on all of them, right? Yeah. Uh, into an individual's home, and it's a conversation. You develop a rapport very quickly. The team usually has uh, potentially eleven other homes scheduled for that day, mm -hmm. and uh, you very quickly have to develop a rapport with the homeowner. Um, so the team of three, and I, I, I can't make this up, but it, it does uh, create quite the uh, beginnings of a joke to ask how many Red Crossers does it take to install a smoke alarm. But we send out a team of three, and that's, that's for their safety and the homeowner's safety. Right. One individual is designated as the installer. So we have one individual who is going to be working from the ladder. Um, another individual is working to support that individual so that they don't fall or and provide them what they need. And then uh, another individual is doing documentation and also education. So it's a team of three and I think it's uh, it's communities coming together as we as we saw in any level response this is a prepared preparedness effort but it's still individuals coming together and so uh, some of our partners we've been honored to have uh, Wallen Insurance on board for years down in Shimon County uh, I told them it's it's completely shameless if you want to wear Wallen Insurance and talk about insurance while you're there but you need to make sure you're documented that you covered um, all of the pieces of the American Red Cross program and he's trained his entire staff 20 plus individuals they go out every Thursday uh, and schedule installs so it's a community to community program as long as we have the individual volunteers from those communities willing to to make the commitment and and when it comes to these um, any of these disasters whether it's a, a super localized one or maybe a, more of a regional one um, what are some of the things or, or when you're talking about the Red Cross, what are some of the statistics or the thing, the broad points that you try to get across to people who might not be really into that nuanced sort of discussion about why this is really, really important? What are some of the things that you try to sort of, the red flag, so to speak, that you try to wave in front of people so that they understand this is something that they do have to take seriously? Yeah, well, as I shared, that, that real quick snapshot from Schuyler County's responses last year was, was out of the norm. Um, the reality is is that every day seven people perish in a house fire. Uh, we respond to nearly 65,000 house fires nationwide a year as part, of, uh, as part of our partnership with local fire companies and emergency managers. Um, I think the, the other piece, 
that I found rather staggering is with the building materials that are available, with the materials that are being used in furnishings, uh, it takes less than two minutes for your house to become either engulfed in flame and or completely engulfed in smoke and heat. So I think two, the two, two, and two is some of the messaging that we want individuals to know. You need to have two ways to get out of every room in your house. You need to know what they are. You need to practice so that you can actually time yourself and get out of those rooms in under two minutes. And we ask you to practice this drill, and this is the hardest part. We ask you to practice this drill twice a year. In my opinion, make it fun. If, if I had my kids lined up in a room and I said go with a stopwatch, they'd be thrilled. And if I told them we're going out for ice cream afterwards, if you can get it under two minutes, they'd be thrilled, right? Make it fun. This is, this is potentially uh, your life-saving moment. And um, you, can, you can use something as simple as our little dry erase board if you want, mm -hmm. but know how you're going to get out of your house. The other piece is, is know where you're going to meet afterwards. So, so if, my, you know, if my wife goes out the back door and I go out the, the, the bedroom window and, and my sons go out their window, where are we meeting? Because if the incident commander shows up and we can't account for all the residents of our dwelling, then we're putting now a fire personnel at risk because they have to go in and try to find us. Mm -hmm. so, so there is some, some seriousness to this, but I think you can make it fun in the preparedness side. Uh, so anyway, kind of a, you asked about further statistics. So it, it's, I want to hone in on that, though, because it's interesting you say that. That was going to be my next question, was actually about the, the planning of how to get out, your, your escape route, so to speak, yeah. um, in that situation. It's funny, you talk to most people, and most people just give you, oh, it's, it's, it's a single-family house. I'm just going yeah. to get out. But there does have to be that sort of next-level thought process that goes into it right like it just can't be that simple I'm gonna get up go out the door and walk down the hallway and walk out my front door because it, it probably won't be possible or could not be possible each disaster is unique each fire is unique and, and I encourage you to, to check in with emergency management and your fire professionals um, locally what you think may be the best way out, you may not be able to gain access to. You may not be able to see it. Uh, depending on the fire, the lights may go out first. So if it happens in the middle of the night, <clears throat> can you get out of each of the rooms in your house in under two minutes in the dark, potentially crawling? And, and I don't say that to scare anybody. I, I just say run some of the different scenarios. What happens if the fire happens and only half of your family's at home? Who's the contact person? Do they know who to call? If you're on vacation, who's watching your home? What if you have somebody that's staying there and is not familiar with your home? Do they know how to get out? Um, and, and what if what if my uh, what if my my mobility's impaired. I mean, I, I'm getting older here, Josh. I, I, I don't get around like I used to. 
but if if I don't move so fast, and and my way is is very narrow, right? What if it depends on the structure of the home as well? So, you know, it it's not necessarily to scare anybody, but it's to plant the seed of when you're doing your preparedness, you have to individualize it. And it, it doesn't have to be just the Red Cross. Talk to your, your fire folks. Your volunteer fire companies know what they're experiencing every time they go out. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that they know what they're getting into, but they know uh, to a certain degree how the fire is going to behave, what it's going to produce, and potentially what they're putting their lives on the line for. You're, if you're in that home fire, you're at risk. So we want you out of there in under two minutes. So obviously, as, as you guys move forward through the spring, um, it is blood still uh, oh, gosh, the, yes. the thing that you're constantly, obviously it's something that you're constantly having to, to fight for. Yeah. Um, where, where do we stand with the need for blood now versus where we did a few months ago? So a few months ago, with uh, coming out of the, the winter season, a number of drives obviously had to be canceled. Um, we're coming off a spring break, and so some of our, our most uh, generous blood donors continue to be our educational institutions. That's at the high school level and at the college level. Yeah. Uh, when they're not in session, we're not able to collect. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure we have a, a clear... Um, cause, but we are seeing a significant decrease in the number of individuals donating blood for whatever reason. And it's it appears to be somewhat uh, America-specific. Worldwide, blood collection is growing. More countries are developing their blood programs, and they're, they're able to collect uh, significantly more blood. <clears throat> for obvious, obvious reasons, right? If you're doing a whole blood donation. But again, the, the advancements in technology and treatment for different type of, types of illnesses, such, such as cancer or other treatments, require different types of products from the blood. So the need is there. Um, hospitals and, and treatment center administrators are doing their best to keep their costs down, and so they might delay their purchase until they absolutely need it. But the reality is, is that you know, if I show up at the emergency room and I need, uh, and I need blood, the expectation is, is that it will be there. So coming out of the winter season, we were uh, as, uh, as, I guess, the, the nation's largest blood provider. <clears throat> we, the American Red Cross holds about 43% of the nation's blood collection industry. We were seeing more uh, blood being dispensed than was being collected. Not necessarily unusual, but because we've seen kind of a decrease in the number of donors, it really was, uh, it was a bit of a nail-biter. Mm -hmm. At this point, there's still a need. There's always a need. Um, similar to practicing that evacuation plan, I would encourage individuals that are eligible to, to donate blood and willing to make that commitment to give one more point we'll give one more unit this year if if each eligible donor would would make a, an appointment for one more donation each year we we wouldn't see this variation but <clears throat> folks get busy mm -hmm. um, I would encourage uh, anybody that uh, that is a regular donor or who has considered uh, 
becoming a regular donor to use the American Red Cross blood donor application on their smart device. It makes it really easy. You can make your appointments. You can fill out your, your health history paperwork. So uh, going through the, the drive is actually... Makes um, it easier. It makes it easier. Um, but for whatever reason, it's it seems like, feels like it's uh, falling out of favor a bit with the American culture. And I, I don't have a, a real reason why. Um, I think it's easier than ever. I think it's uh, much more enjoyable than ever. Um, technology is, is working in the blood collection industry to, uh, to, to continue to keep it safe. The FDA continues to oversee all of the industry. So uh, safer than ever, easier than ever. It's just up to you to make a, make a commitment. Is that something that will require you guys to sort of re-envision how you do things if that Oh, absolutely. Or we already are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in July of this year, we've kind of restructured our collection entity. Um, and we're seeing right now, we're, we're taking a look at nationwide, seeing how we can uh, bring blood services back over to uh, the chapter side. So we'll be seeing... Uh, volunteers and uh, and blood staff better aligned with our with our current chapter side uh, just to try to uh, continue to make it easy and safe but also to, to increase collections and there's another event I was supposed to ask you about ride for the red ride for the red so uh, the Harley owners group out of uh, Arkport and uh, Arkport and Corning has been a, a wonderful contributor and a, a 10 year plus this will be their 11th year I believe uh, they hold a, a motorcycle event um, I would argue it's one of the safest rides in upstate New York uh, because it's led by the uh, by the motorcycle division of New York State Police and uh, tremendous skills uh, in, in those gentlemen and, and ladies that ride those bikes um, They've made a commitment to raise money through their Ride for the Red. It is uh, Labor Day weekend, so uh, August 31st, September 1st. Look for it on, uh, on their website, and I don't have it off the top of my head. Sorry, Josh. But do, do a search for uh, Ride for the Red and, uh, and plug we'll in Big a, Flats, New York. We will drop a link for it right in the story that accompanies this podcast. Um, so the, the, my, last, my last question for you is for those who might be interested in yeah. volunteering, who might be interested in getting, getting involved, what's the process look like and how can they get that process rolling? Sure. So we try to be pretty technologically savvy. Uh, individuals can go to redcross.org and there should be a tab that says volunteer. And then once you enter uh, your name and your address, it'll assign you to a chapter in your zip code area. Mm -hmm. From there, one of our volunteer recruitment specialists will contact you, find out your interests, and help, uh, help you negotiate through the, the basic uh, orientation and training. Um, if that doesn't work for you, I encourage you to give us a call. Contact your local American Red Cross. Again, you can search that at redcross.org, or you can call us at uh, 607 936 3766 and say I'd like to volunteer. Uh, donating bloods, like I said, easier than ever. There is a uh, Red Cross blood page or you can use the application. 
to set up your appointment. And if you'd like to make a financial uh, contribution, you can call me directly, <laughs> um, 607-329-0114. And uh, we, we welcome your gift of time, money, and blood. It, uh, it's truly an honor. Well, we appreciate you, uh, you coming in. And, of course, we appreciate all the work you're doing in the community all the time. That is really... Um, the way you guys are giving back is really second to none uh, here I, in Felix. Uh, I, I will share that with our volunteers. Thank you. That means a lot. That's all the time we have for this week. I'll be back next Sunday with Mark and Kevin Henderson. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to visit FingerLakes1.com for the latest headlines and to see archived episodes. Sunday Conversation is also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week, guys. Thanks.